0: Well, it's always a joy to come to um, New Beginnings in Moody's Burn. Some of you might uh, know that I live um, on the southeast side of Edinburgh. I live in a little village called Newton Grange. There's just been a new church plant there. Um, But my kids all go to school in a place called Bonnyrig, so they go to Lassoy High School. And... um, one of the girls, one of the little girls in my daughter's class has just become a Christian. And uh, so w- w- m- my family go into church in Edinburgh, and so she comes with us into church into Edinburgh and then home again. And the, the other evening I was um, free and I was coming uh, home with my family, and she said to me, Robert, um, she said, You know, there isn't, there's a mosque in Bonnyrig. But there isn't an evangelical church in Bonnyrigg. That's just on the southeast side of Edinburgh. 20,000 people. And there's not one evangelical church in, in, in that uh, town, village, whatever you want to call it. So it's always a thrill for me to come it's always a huge challenge for me to come to New Beginnings because um, I would love to see a church like this planted right in the middle of of Bonnyrigg, reaching out with the gospel so when you think of me from time to time you you might think about that burden I carry and uh, some of you might have some helpful advice that you could give me on how to go about seeing that um, dream vision actually become a reality Um, anyhow I want to read uh, to you from the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 11 and uh, Hebrews chapter 12, which comes immediately after 11, obviously. So, Hebrews chapter 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses (coughs) let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us let us fix our eyes on Jesus the author and perfecter of our faith who for the joy set before him endured the cross scorning its shame sat down at the right hand of the throne of God consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart now uh, illustrations are important I think you'll agree with that um Spurgeon, the great Baptist preacher of a bygone generation, said on one occasion, he said, listening a sermon without illustrations is like living in a house without windows and living in a house without windows wouldn't be um, much fun, it would be a fairly depressing sort of existence and there is a sense in which listening to a sermon that has zero illustration and zero application, uh, it may be a fairly depressing exercise little boy sitting beside his dad in church in the highlands of Scotland, his dad fell asleep, the minister saw his dad was asleep and the little boy is wreaking havoc in the pews and the minister looks down to the little boy and says, waken your dad son. And the wee boy shouts back to the minister, no you waken him, you put him to sleep. (laughs) (laughs) Of course the New Testament is just full of illustrations and illustrative material. For Jesus was a master of the use of um, illustrations and the stories that he told. And of course the Apostle Paul is no exception to that either. If you read his epistles, full of illustration, one illustration after another. Um, for instance, he describes himself as a slave. And he uses the picture of a slave to describe himself and his relationship with um, the Lord. A slave was somebody who had no rights of his own. Uh, a slave was somebody who really existed to do the bidding of another. And that, in a sense, is what um, Paul, how Paul viewed himself. He viewed himself as the Lord's slave or the Lord's servant. Ephesians 6, he describes himself as a soldier. Now, Christian life's not a playground, uh, it's a battlefield. And there is an enemy who is intent on our destruction, uh, an enemy who wants to rob us of any sense of vitality, and who wants to destroy our Christian testimony. There is an enemy who is intent on our destruction. and. Uh, We, if we're going to survive in this battlefield environment, will need to be good soldiers. Another illustration in the New Testament is the illustration of a farmer. We reap what we sow. And we know that to be true of life, don't we? Uh, What we reap, we will sow. What we do today, we will uh, harvest the consequences of that in a day to come. And I tell my children that. One of them, (coughs) our third oldest is heading off to university now in Dundee and I, I I'm, I'm, every day I'm telling him there are consequences to every decision and every action and you need to make sure that you make good choices and you need to make sure that you make good uh, decisions in, in relation to uh, your behaviour when you go to university I'm not sure he's listening but at least I'm preaching the sermon um, the illustration of course which comes to us here in Hebrews chapters. Twelve, chapter twelve, verses one and two, primarily, although three touches on it. But the first two verses is an illustration from the world of athletics. And uh, the point of the writer to the Hebrews is fairly simple. The Christian life is a long distance race which is set out before us. And we ought to give ourselves to the running of this race in the way that any runner would give themselves to the competition or to the, to, to the race that they are running in. We need to be committed We need to be persevering. We need to be enduring competitors. Now, it's not that we compete against each other. I am not trying to outdo you, and I'm sure you are not trying to outdo me. And if you knew me, that wouldn't be terribly hard. We're not competing against each other. We compete against the common hurdles of life. Our opponents are the world the flesh and the devil those are the things that we are competing against those are the things that are uh, those are the things that are trying to destroy us and and hold us back and stop us from making progress in our onward journey with the lord the world the flesh and the devil all of them combined together to oppose us And if we are to overcome these hindrances and if we are to be good competitors in the Christian life, then we will need to be committed and we'll need to be dedicated. Now, the writer to the Hebrews has become aware, it seems, that many of these uh, Hebrew Christians who are second-generation Christians, so uh, they didn't, never met the Lord, they are second-generation Christians. And the writer to the Hebrews seems to become aware that uh, some of them have become half-hearted. Some of them are dropping out of the race altogether. Uh, They are no longer the self disciplined people um, that is required in the Christian life. They're no longer interested in anything that will tax them spiritually or expend their spiritual energies. They're more interested in an easy life, a pleasant life. They don't want any difficulty or hardship. And some of the Hebrews, it seems, some of these Hebrew uh, Christians, Christians who had come from Jewish stock, some of these Hebrew Christians had actually renounced any professions of faith that they had made and had gone back to the synagogue from where they had come. Now, not all of them, but some of them had done that. Some of them, it seems, had just become a bit careless in things like meeting together as Christians. They, they had forsaken the assembling of themselves together as Christians because of the pressure and because of the criticism and because of the mockery of their Jewish friends down at the synagogue. They had left the church and the pressure had become too much and they had gone back to the stalls from which they had come. But some of them, those to whom he is writing, he's concerned that they had become a little bit careless, they had become a little bit apathetic, they they'd settled for mediocrity. And they were no longer going for gold in their Christian life. And so he writes this epistle, and he writes this little section in the epistle to try and spur them on. Not to settle in the plains of mediocrity, but to go for gold in their Christian lives. So that's the context of uh, the, these two verses. Now, um, I have got three things that I, I want you to think about with me. I want you to think about instruction for the race. Because I think that the writer to the Hebrews gives these Hebrew Christians some clear instructions as to how to go about running the Christian race. Secondly, he talks not just about instructions, but he talks about the initiative that needs to be shown by the runner. Because every runner needs to... uh, Take the initiative themselves. Someone else can't do it for you. And then, thirdly, there is inspiration. All of us need to know where, where to find inspiration, and our inspiration for for being good competitors in the Christian life. Is none other than Jesus, looking unto Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. So those are the three things, instruction, initiative, and inspiration. First of all, instruction then. Two notes of instruction that I want to leave you with. First of all, he tells his readers to be encouraged. Therefore, he says at the beginning of chapter 12 therefore, whenever you see a therefore in the Bible you should always stop and ask what is the therefore, therefore and it's linking what he's about to say in chapter 12 with what he has just said in chapter 11, and chapter 11 as you know is what's sometimes referred to as the Westminster Abbey of scripture, it's God's hall of faith if you like, and it's the story of all those great men and women of faith uh, who lived in the Old Testament. People like Enoch, who walked with God and was not, for God took him. Here's a man who walked with God regardless of how others were living. Enoch decided that he was going to walk with God. People could go in this direction or that direction, but he was going with God. People like Noah, who staked his life on God's promise to send a flood, even though it had never rained. He staked his life on the promise that God would send a flood and destroy the world by a flood. And he built this huge boat on which he would save himself and his family. And of course the various species of the earth. Folks like Abraham who stepped out on a journey with God left out of the Chaldees. uh, One of the most civilized places on the planet. And he steps out into the desert on a journey with God. Not knowing where he was going to, but prepared to trust God. People like Moses, who turned his back on a life of wealth and fame in the palaces of Egypt to become God's man for God's hour and to read, lead these Hebrews into the wilderness to meet God at Mount Sinai and then eventually on to the promised land. And, and uh, these people that are are mentioned here therefore we are surrounded by this great crowd of witnesses the people in Hebrews chapter 11 whom he has just discussed are described as witnesses and what are the witnesses to? a a witness is somebody who tells you what they know, isn't it? you go to court and and you're a witness and, and, and you just are expected to stand there and tell them what you know what you saw and these people are witnesses to the ability of God to sustain his people no matter what the circumstances. Amen. And, and that's what uh, we are surrounded by. The picture that's being painted here is a vast stadium and uh, on the seats there are rows and rows of seats uh, in the stadium and then on the ground there's people competing in various events field and track and throwing the discus and all kinds of events people and, and then there's the spectators cheering them on that's the picture that he's painting and we have these witnesses now it's not that these people are in heaven looking at us on earth cheering us on that's not the picture which he is drawing, the picture that he is drawing is is that we ought to see ourselves surrounded by these witnesses. People like Joseph, who was able, enabled, let me put it like that, he was enabled to trust God when life was horrendous. He was able to cling on by his fingertips, enabled by God's grace. To trust that somehow God would work it out for good, even though his brothers meant it for evil. Not much fun being snatched from your father's apron strings and sold as a slave in Egypt. Falsely accused of rape by Potiphar's wife. Ending up in prison and thinking you had your exit planned only to stay there for another two years. We ought to think about people like Moses. I mean... The cost of discipleship in the 21st century. The weirdness of being a Christian and believing in biblical principles. And the fact that you take as a... We ought to hear Moses saying to us, God enabled me to turn my back on a life of acceptance and fame in Egypt. And if God enabled me, he can enable, he can enable you in the 21st century. People like David, who took on a giant with a few stones... People like David who failed miserably and who could have decided that's the end, I'll never get over this, this is me finished forever. But somehow by God's grace got up and got on and started all over again. We ought to hear people like David saying to us, don't take failure as final. We're surrounded by these Old Testament witnesses. And if they witness to anything, they witness to the fact that God can enable his people and does enable his people. And we ought to be encouraged. If God did it then, he can surely do it now. God hasn't changed. He won't abandon us. Surely God can enable us in the 21st century to be the people he wants us to be. At work, at school. Amongst our family, in our street, wherever it is he has placed us. If God did it then, he can do it now for us, if only we will believe him. Well, that's the first piece of instruction he gives them. He says, be encouraged. There's a lot of reasons to be encouraged. God has done this many times. You're not the first people to walk this life of faith. Just read the Old Testament, he says, it's full of stories of people that God enabled and God can enable you Hebrew Christians up against it by your friends down at the synagogue making fun of you because you believe that the Messiah has come. And you want to go back where you'll be accepted and where life will be easy. Well, just remember, in the Old Testament, there's countless stories of how God enabled people to keep pressing on. Secondly, the second piece of advice he gives to them is, let us run with endurance, he says, the race which is marked out for us. That's the second piece. We've got to be enduring. Can't give up. Can't just go back to the synagogue. Can't renounce our professions of faith. There's no room for going back. We must endure, he says. That, that's the, the race which is marked out for us. So we're not called to live Joseph's life or Moses' life or Enoch's life. We're called to live in the 21st century. And this is the course that's been marked out for us. We are to live here and now. This is where God has set us down and this is the life that God wants us to live. And the people that we live amongst, they are the people that, we wanna, that God wants us to witness to. And we are to endure, he says... No, I'm trying to get going on a bit of a health program. I realise I've put on a bit of weight. I'm trying to get a bit of weight off. It's really hard to keep going, isn't it? Like I'm great for about three days, and and then it's just a compl- <laughs> then it's just a disaster. Endurance is the, is 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 really difficult. It's easy to start well. But the challenge is to keep going and the same is true in the Christian life. There's a lot of sprinters in the Christian life, short distance runners. But the Christian life is not a sprint, it's a marathon. It's a long distance race. And the church has always been overcrowded by short burst Christians. They pop up for a while and they're all guns blazing. And then before you know it they've gone and there's neither sight nor sound of them. They make a dash, a mad dash at church attendance. And then they just disappear for months on end. But the Christian life is not like that. It's a long distance race and we must endure to the end if we are to be saved. That's what Jesus said, isn't it? Those who endure to the end will be saved. The last mile is important. Because endurance is surely one of the marks of authenticity. Shows that we're the real deal. Shows that God really is at work in our hearts. And that God really is our Lord and Savior. And that he is Bring us on to maturity. Endurance is one of the marks of authenticity. It marks us out as the real deal is genuine. The writer to the Hebrews has been making this point. It's one of the books in the New Testament that really hammers on this again and again. The need for endurance. There's no room for going back. Chapter 3 verse 14 he says. We are partakers of Christ. He says. If we hold firm to the end. The confidence that we had at first. The problem is that some of the Hebrews were not holding firm to the end. The confidence in Christ that they had at first. They were slipping back and some of them going back to the synagogue. They started well, but when the problems came, they lost their enthusiasm. And the writer to the Hebrews wants them to know that there's no room for going back. He wants his readers to put their hand in the hand of Christ. And go on with him until they breast the finish tape. He doesn't want them to ever entertain the notion or the possibility of going back. Ever, ever, ever. He wants them to press on with Jesus. I don't know about you, but I've lost count of the number of people who've gone back. Haven't you? People who sat beside me in Bible college. And... uh, and uh, then later at seminary and, and people who had every appearance of being the real deal, but now, now, today, if you were to talk to them, they're absolutely nowhere. Absolutely nowhere. I think of a man that I knew who once led the singing, who was usually the first person to pray in the prayer meeting, but now is absolutely nowhere spiritually. We must run with endurance. The race which is marked out for us. We must put our hand in the hand of Jesus. And go on with him until we breast the finish tape. There is no room for going back. There is no place of assurance or confidence in going back. The only place of assurance and confidence is to know Jesus and to go on with Jesus. Well here is uh, the second thing that I want you to think about. And that is the initiative of the runner. Um... I don't want you to misunderstand what I've just said about going on with Jesus. I don't think we keep ourselves. Don't ever, I I don't think, please don't misunderstand me. I don't think for one minute that we keep ourselves by pressing on with Jesus. But surely pressing on with Jesus is a sign that we are being kept. And that God really is at work in our lives. And, And if we don't have any evidence that God really is at work in our lives, we're not in a great place. In fact, I would be prepared to say we're in a very dangerous place. Second thing, the initiative of the runner. He tells them to do two things. First of all, he says, let us lay aside every weight that or encumbrance. Let us lay aside every weight or encumbrance. Now the word weight is on cost. It, it speaks of a bulk or a mass of something, it could refer to heavy clothing or it could refer to excess body weight and uh, any runner who's serious about winning will make sure that he is running with uh, the least amount of uh, clothing and the least amount of excess body weight uh, possible. He wants to run well, he wants to be a winner, he's not going to show up up at the starting blocks with nail boots and a big overcoat is he? if he's serious about winning he will be trained physically fit he'll be there with skimpy shorts and a tank top or a muscle top and he'll make sure that he has nothing to hold him back and the truth is that some of us as Christians are trying to run the Christian life with a suitcase in each hand of weights holding us back now I don't want you to misunderstand me I I don't think for one minute that the writer to the Hebrews is saying to these folks you must turn your back on everything that consists of a normal life things like work things like family responsibilities listen we are called to live in the real world we're not called to go and lock ourselves away in a desert in a monastery we're to be salt and light in the real world But the truth is, sometimes we can allow things, a place in our lives that becomes unhelpful. Even family. My family can become more important to me than God. My business or my career or my work commitments. I can be so busy with them. and and so focused on them that, that I have no time for personal devotions, I have no time to get involved in the ministry of the church, I have no time to attend things like Bible study and prayer meetings, because work must come first. And is it not fair to say that in those instances, work has become like a weight that's holding us back from our spiritual maturing in the things of faith? Sometimes even people I've noticed in their theology uh, can cause them to stumble. They become so cold, so clinical, so dead right on absolutely everything that they can have fellowship with no one and sometimes even that becomes a weight that holds them back mm-hmm. tell you one of the things I've noticed uh, recently is electronics can become a weight, nothing wrong with a, with, an ele- with, with a laptop or an iPhone or whatever kind of electronic you might have and I've got both of them uh, I need them for my work and, and I find them really helpful but they can take over your life you go into a restaurant now I was in one yesterday with my family because my oldest daughter is 20 and she, uh, we were sort of celebrating her birthday and whatever and uh, anyway, sitting in a restaurant looking around, everybody, every table nobody's talking to each other life is consumed with electronics the writer to the hebrews he's not writing in the 21st century he's not talking about laptops and iPhones but he is saying he is saying to us listen are there weights in your life that are holding you back stopping you from making spiritual progress things that you need to Somehow make sure they release their grip or their hold or their controlling influence on you. Do you need to take the reins of your life and take control rather than allowing these things to control you and hold you back? But then he says, not only are we to lay aside every weight, but then he says, and the sin so easily entangles you. The sin. Now all sin... Yeah, it, it contributes to our spiritual regress and uh, but he 's not talking about all sin he 's talking about the sin this sin that so easily entangles you i, I don 't know what that sin might be in your life some people it 's their temper temper 's constantly tripping them up just as they begin to feel as if they 're making spiritual progress their temper there 's this outburst banging doors, stamping feet. All picture and no sound for three days, and their temper. Is that the sin that is entangling you, ensnaring, wrapping itself around your legs and tripping you up? For some people, it's an unforgiving spirit. Something happened in your past, and it was wrong, and it should never have happened. But you've become so full of unforgiveness and bitterness that that has soured your spirit. And is stopping you from making progress in your Christian life. For for some guys, it's the internet. I hate to tell you that, but it is the internet. Um, I was a pastor in Canada for several years, as you, as you probably know. And the number of men that I met who are ensnared with pornography on the internet because it's so accessible. A few flicks of your fingers, and it's all there in front of you. What is this sin? That is ensnaring you. And the question is, do you want to be ensnared and controlled by that forever? Or do you need to make the decision? I, I know that we can't make the decision to offload sin all by ourselves. But surely there is a decision somewhere to be involved with us. Do we need to make the decision To be done with that sin. To say no to that sin. Ever read the story of Joseph. And Potiphar's wife threw herself at Joseph. And you think for one minute that he wasn't attracted to this beautiful Egyptian woman. But the answer was no. And off he took like a rocket. He had made the decision in his mind. He was not going to be ensnared by that sin. And somehow we need to do that. We need to be prepared to say no to sin and yes to God and we need to set aside the sin that ensnares us and holds us back and destroys us and destroys our Christian lives well the writer to the Hebrews is saying to his readers are you going to be held back by that sin for the next 10 years next 20 years are you going to be held back by that sin right to the end of your life are you going to make the decision to set it aside and go in a different direction Well, instruction, um, initiative, you've got to take the initiative. You've got to set aside every weight and every sin. And finally, there's inspiration. Every runner needs inspiration. And he says, uh, writer to the Hebrews says to his readers, he says, look to Jesus for inspiration. He is the author and perfecter of our faith, he says. And... uh, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross counted it shame as nothing and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God two quick things about this and then we're finished we must look to Jesus as our source of energy looking unto Jesus the author and uh, perfecter of our faith now if you spend your Christian life looking around you at other people you'll be disappointed or discouraged one of the two You'll be disappointed because you will see that they are not perfect and people will let you down. You'll be discouraged because you will see that other people are able to do things that you can't do. You'll either be disappointed or discouraged if you spend your life looking at other people. And there is a place for looking within. But we must do more than look within and look without. We must look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Now, John Owen in his... uh, in one of his books makes a point um, I can't remember if it was a commentary I read but I read this by John Owen that we must look to Jesus not just simply as our example we must look to him as our uh, we must look to him by faith as the author and perfecter of our faith what is an author? an author is someone who writes a book right? the words of the book come from that person from his mind through his pen onto the page Jesus is the author of faith, the author and protector of faith. He is the one who gives faith, and he is the one who carries on the work of faith in us until it's completed. This is not something that we conjure up ourselves. This is a gift from God, uh, and, and God is the one who carries on the work within us. That's why we must look to Jesus. The Christian life is not a call to pull yourself up by your shoelaces and do it all by yourself. The call of the Christian life is come and look to Jesus and draw from him the faith that you need to live the life of faith, the strength that you need to live the way that you should live. Look to Jesus. And and the reason so many of us are falling flat on our spiritual faces so often is because we're trying to do it ourselves. How many of us get up and roll into the day, just launch into the day, never asking for the help of Jesus, never asking for God's intervention in relation to that difficult person I have to put up with today at work? We think we can do it, and we can't do it, and that's why we fail so miserably. The call of the writer to the Hebrews is, look to Jesus. He's the one who gives faith. He's the one who perfects faith. He's the one that will do the work in your hearts and lives. Look to Jesus. Draw from him the strength that you need. Isn't it interesting, that whole story in the life of Peter? I think we looked at it here. When he got out of the boat and began to walk on water, he was able to walk on the water as long as he looked to Jesus. But when he started to look at the waves and the circumstances and began to think, I I shouldn't be out here. People don't walk on water. Look at the waves. This is crazy. He began to sink. that's just how it is in life if you look at circumstances if you look at people unless we look at Jesus look to Jesus cling to Jesus Lord I can't face this difficult person at work today without your help you'll need to give me the grace you'll need to be in me looking and dealing with this person because I can't do it by myself Lord I can't be the parent that you want me to be you'll need to come and help me We must look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And then finally, we must look to him not only as our source of energy, but as our supreme example. The word author, archigos, is is the word for for whatever that means or whatever that's worth. But, But just to say, it carries this idea of forerunner or pioneer and uh, Jesus is the one we must look to as our perfect example he is the one who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, counted it shame as nothing sat down at the right hand of the majesty most runners run for the joy that is set before before them, the joy of standing on the podium, hearing their national anthem, receiving a, a medal that their grandkids will sell for a fiver on ebay that's the joy that most runners run for that, the joy of that moment. And Jesus, uh, the joy set before him. Standing in his father's presence knowing he had fulfilled perfectly his father's will. Fulfilled it perfectly, his father's will. That he had gone to the cross and endured its shame. Counted it as nothing. Bearing shame and scoffing rude in our place condemned he stood. That's what Jesus did. Not for the joy of it. There's no joy in crucifixion. I mean, there's no joy in, in becoming sin for us. It was the joy that was set before him. The joy of doing his father's will, standing in his father's presence, knowing he had done what his father wanted him to do. And, and that's why we must run. That's why we must follow the example of Jesus. We must follow the example of Jesus. Okay, Jesus went to the cross and died for us for the joy that was set before him. We ought to live our lives and endure the pain that we are called upon to endure the criticism the mockery we must do it for the joy of can you imagine for 1 minute the joy of standing in god's presence and hearing those words well done good and faithful servant enter now into the joy of the lord of your lord can you imagine can you imagine the horror of standing in god's presence and hearing him say to us depart from me i never knew you it's the joy one day standing before god and knowing that we glorified him and lived for him that that's why we won't go back to the synagogue that's why we'll endure their mockery as we walk past them and they say oh look at him he thinks the messiah came god's son and died on a tree what a pathetic messiah that was that's why we won't go back to the synagogue. That's why we will count the shame of the Christian life as nothing. For the joy set before us standing one day in God's presence and hearing him say, Well done, good and faithful servant. You know, a movie was made about um, Eric Little's life. I don't know if you uh, have seen it, Chariots of Fire. Most Scottish people have seen it. In that movie, there's a scene on Arthur's seat, actually, it was filmed where they're looking out over the city of Edinburgh, and Jenny, uh, his sister, Eric's sister, is berating him. And uh, she, she says to him, you should be, you should be spending more time uh, teaching the kids in Sunday school than, than training in athletics. And of course he said to her, Jenny, God has made me fast, and when I run, I can feel his pleasure. And when he eventually broke the world record and won the 400 yards and and, uh, after the race a, a news reporter was asking him did he have a special strategy in running that race and he said to the news reporter 400 meters, he said well, I ran the first 200 meters as fast as I could and I ran the second 200 even faster and I don't know how you've run the part of the race that's already gone that's gone, we can't do much about that Some of us will be able to say, I've run it as fast, as fast as I could. But will you resolve with me this morning to say, for the part of the course that still remains, I'm going to run it even faster for God. Thank you so much again for your kind attention.